Welcome to the Transformation Leaders Podcast. I'm Tony Lockwood and I'm delighted that you could join me on this latest episode. Each episode takes the form of a discussion with a leader who openly shares their experiences of leading organisations through the transformation journey. We have reached 50 episodes and I've taken the opportunity to rebrand the podcast to the Transformation Leaders Podcast. This, I feel, represents the guests that we have had on the show. I've thoroughly enjoyed the previous 49 episodes and I've been very grateful to all of my guests that have come on and openly shared their experiences. Here's to the next half century. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sheetal Fakar. Operating globally from her base in London, she is the founder of Ashen Consulting and a leader in the field of agile thinking and working. Let me introduce you to her now. Okay, good afternoon, Sheetal. Thank you very much for um, agreeing to come on to... um, what was called the Inside Track podcast, but this is this will be the first that goes out under its new brand, the Transformation Leaders podcast. So welcome. Um, if we can start, as we always do on these uh, podcasts, um, by introducing yourself a little bit about your background and how you first got involved in change and transformation. Um, that sort of provides the context for the conversation that we'll be having uh, as we move forward. Yeah, thanks, Tony, and uh, absolute pleasure to be here. Not only that, but also really honoured that I'm one of the first ones that you'll be doing uh, under the new brand. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. I um, I started my career in the development world. Um, that was a long time ago where I just got thrown in right at the deep end, coding, um, pretty much doing things I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, found my way, found my feet, threw myself at the deep end, as I always do. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, started kind of like more my technical journey, my delivery journey. And uh, so that was my journey. So I was pretty much working in the Internet space. And I was actually one of the earlier developers for online banking. Um, and I was also one of the earlier. Actually, I was probably responsible for the online auction in the 2008 recession when Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers and all of those other companies collapsed, I was actually responsible for building the credit auction for that, which was quite an interesting project, I must say. Very technical, very complex, um, but something I was actually quite proud of, despite, you know, under the circumstances, it was quite a sensitive thing. Bringing things to life was kind of my forte, and it's something that really kind of, I used to feel so proud of doing stuff like that. Um, and then I think I used to feel the pains of working in a waterfall environment. Um, so like, just like when the Agile Manifesto came out, I really reasoned with the developers during that time. Um, and I was like, pretty much with the, with the listings of the manifesto, I was pretty much like, yes, 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 yes. So in total agreement with it. Um, but little did I know at the time that I was already working in an agile way, despite really realizing that it was an actual thing. Yes. Um, so from that perspective, I discovered it head on when I was working for a company called Rated People. Right. There they were working in a Kanban fashion. And I was like, oh my God, this is just incredible. What's going on here? Um, and there was, yeah, it's, it's an agile strategy. And at the time I just knew agile as a buzzword. I didn't know it as much more than that. Um, but then I was uh, dropped into a contract in France, and there there was they were talking about converting and transforming to agile ways of working, 
And I put my hand up and said, I know how to do this. I've been agile for God knows how long. Um, total blag. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, pretty much threw myself in at the deep end as well um, and helped and supported their scrum masters and their teams go more agile. And at that point, I only understood Kanban, but they wanted to do scrum. So there was whole, you know, the refinements, the backlog grooming, the, um, sorry, can I say backlog with backlog refinement, retrospectives, um, what else was there? The uh, God, my brain, um, stand-ups, but also planning poker, you know, and I was just like kind of literally out of my comfort zone and going, I can do this. I'll show you how to do this. So I literally took a scrum course overnight to yeah. really support them and help them and then go back with the knowledge that I kind of captured overnight um, and help them transform. And the results were remarkable. You know, the team increased in productivity, the team were happier. Um, there was a bit of a heartbeat going on. So I actually use the word heartbeat a lot in a lot of the kind of transformations I'm doing. It's like, let's find what your heartbeat looks like. And it was a lot of kind of trailblazing, evaluating, experimenting, figuring things out on the fly. And uh, that, that happens a lot, doesn't it? it it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's having that ability and that willingness to go out and um, understand and, and then start to deploy and apply with the yeah. teams. And it's only at that stage that you really start to learn and embed within yourself as well as within the team. So uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I, a lot of people um, that we've had on these uh, these uh, episodes in the past, this podcast in the past, that they, they've had exactly this, uh, well, not exactly the same, but very similar experience of being thrown into the deep end, sink or swim, picking up, with some, picking up something to try to make a difference, test it out, and then develop it as it as it goes along. So yeah. absolutely yeah. totally understand. So before we get into too much detail about uh, specifics, I want to just bring it right back to the first question again that we ask on every one of these uh, these podcasts. Um, how do you define transformation? Okay, so how do I define transformation? I I see it as a way that makes the work lives, the working lives of delivery teams happier, healthier, and better, and more efficient. Um, I think transformation done in the right way allows for organizations to really kind of um, thrive and sort of like create that opportunity of high performance as well. Um, so I think transformation is something that should happen in all organizations. Uh, and I think it should be done in a way that's um, cognizant almost to to the individuals that are actually at the in the trenches sort of doing the hard work I think and there's got to be that kind of synergy and understanding um, so part of transformation what it means to me is the coming together of leadership the coming together of middle managers the coming together of teams and building one big vision one big picture one big roadmap that can actually then take the organisation to the place where it deserves to be, basically. Right. So is that more on the spectrum towards sort of a continual change process then, as opposed to what other, other people's definitions may be, something like you know, a complete um, new entity or a complete change of operating model? You know, different people have different um 
perceptions of and definitions of, of transformation. So it sounds like what you how you've just described your definition. It's much more on that uh, at that end of the spectrum that says it's a continual progress a process of yeah. change. Yeah, I definitely don't think that uh, change has a fixed output. I think there's always going to be an evolution in change as well. So what you might think is changing today could, in a, in essence, be different tomorrow. Um, and I think when you are transforming, when you are going through change, you should you should always go with that open mind that this may or may not work. And if it does work, it could change in the future as well, because yeah. we've got so many different people coming and going through organizations day in, day out, pretty much, right? And from that comes with that different perspectives, different ways of doing things, and even better ways of doing things in some cases. So I think change happens and change can work, change can also fail. And I think it's just when you do go through any kind of transformation, I think there needs to be this open mind, minded approach that says, we, we're doing this, we're doing it well. Um, but we can still continue to be better. So there's that seeking continuous improvement, I think, that really should be at the forefront of transformation. I agree. It's, it's interesting as well, isn't it? it and especially over what we've found over like the last two, two and a half years or so. Um, you might have a plan. You might have a clear understanding of where you're getting to. But things happen. Yeah. I, 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 I'll, I'll use the correct term rather than the, the slightly uh, um, ruder term. But things happen, and and stuff comes in from 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 left field that you had no idea was ever going to happen. Yeah. You know, people that have started off a transformation in 2019 had no idea that by this time two years ago the whole world will will, will close up almost. Exactly. And, and it's that it's having that agility. In, in the widest context of being able to take on board what's happening around you, take on board new experiences that people are bringing, take on board competitive uh, um, uh, aspects and, and, and new technologies, etc. But keep moving forward towards that end vision that you've set out to achieve. Exactly. And I think the thing is, I think there, there you've got this kind of... Um, most organizations probably felt an existential crisis during COVID. And I think also in today's environment, there's again, there's an existential crisis going on. Um, and with that in mind, business agility is something that should be front. So I've said, I've said the word front and center twice, but <laughs> should be at the forefront purely because you've got to be so real about where you are today. And I think pragmatism also plays a big part. Um, yeah. Because you're right, things will change. What will ha what's happening today will be different tomorrow. What's happening tomorrow will be different the day after, et cetera, et cetera. What happens in one year's time versus what happens in five years' time is going to be different. Um, so everything is always an assumption until you've kind of got an output on the, on the other side of it. Um, and only then can you really validate that I've assumed that this is what my goal is going to be. Is it what the does that deliver the right outcome? We don't know until we actually put something to market. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So when something goes out to market, you've made an assumption that okay, well, I believe that my customers were going to enjoy this particular feature of my product or my service. It's only when you go to market that you recognize that this is actually working or it's not. And by applying business agility into the world of transformation, into the world of change, but into the, into a new age leadership 
as well, I think what you're getting is um, the flexibility around um, being able to pivot depending on what outcomes you see on the other side as well. And that capability to change should happen consistently. It shouldn't just be, okay, we're going to do this one change and then we're going to drop it. It doesn't work like that. Totally agree. So um, you, you describe yourself as someone that is very focused upon helping leaders redesign organisations and helping them to um, work better together. So you just want to explore that a little bit further. What type of things do you do? How do you, how do you get people to work better together? So I think I come from a world, uh, a game, a work world where the leaders that I used to work with had no clue who I was, no clue of what the work I was doing and no clue what outcomes I was achieving. And I, I recognize that that stood for probably most of the people in that organization. And I also found that the wrong people were being rewarded as well. So I'll, I'll give you a quick example of that. Quick example of that is that I was working in a very iterative way, which meant that I met my goals daily. And then there was another individual, so I won't mention any names, <laughs> another individual that was just slacking for most of the time. And then as it got closer to a deadline, they were working day and night. So they were working and putting in lots of long hours to catch up with that year-long um, deadline that they had to meet. Um, and obviously, we'd seen that kind of activity, that behavior happening, but that behavior was rewarded. And the person that was actually more efficient and how they would make things happen was completely like not, not even noticed. And so with that, that got me thinking that actually there needs to be a lot more transparency and visibility in our ways of working and how we perform and not just how we perform, but also whether we're on track with the work that we're doing. Um, and the only way to do that, and sorry, I'm just going to rewind a second. The other thing that we notice here in the leadership world was that when there was a delivery, when it failed, all guns blazing, but when it was successful, it was just kind of like a bit of an anticlimax almost saying, oh yeah, we've done this, pat on the back, and then let's move on to the next thing. And it wasn't really recognized. Um, and I think that's purely because the leadership was just very rarely close to the initiatives. Um, so I think I've come from that belief that actually by, by pulling people together, and by actually engaging to a joint up vision, you've got the clarity you need to make sure one, that you're on track, two, the leadership have actually got the know-how and the understanding and the knowledge that we are on track and things are progressing. And you know, there's a there's a kind of if there's any blockers, then those are raised as well, and people can actually confidently talk about those issues and deal with them early rather than deal with them right at the end of the line, for example. So it was things like that that kind of got me thinking that actually there's, there needs to be a way to bring everyone onto the same page because when we're all on the same page, I think you actually win and you win faster. So Yeah. So a couple of things that you mentioned there, one we'll come back to in a little while around sort of celebrating successes, which I think, as you say, many organisations fail to do. So at the start of that, you were talking about people on individual that, um, for want of a better term, crammed everything in um, towards the deadline. 
and, and some people are like that, aren't they? I, you know, my daughter's very much like that. Um, you know, we, we would want her to be revising for exams um, as you would structure it, but she was she was that sort of I'm going to cram, and that's the way I put myself under the pressure, which which mm. makes me to makes me do things. So how do you manage that where the different personalities have different ways? And ultimately, it's the outcome that matters, not necessarily the, the mechanism that people go through to, uh, to achieve the outcome. Yeah, I think, I think you've got to respect how people work. And that's fine. You know, it's absolutely fine that uh, someone chooses to kind of do everything last minute versus taking their time and kind of doing a little bit of a to-do list that checks off every day. Um, yeah. And... You, that yes, there has to be a level of respect. However, my 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 concern was in that instance that I gave you was that there was no communication. There was a complete silo when that cramming was happening, which meant on the other side of it there was there was no um, solid tangible product on the other side. It was basically just guesswork, and what came out the other side was just not an acceptable product. Um, whereas actually constant communication being on the ball and having that transparency with each other doesn't matter how you get there but as long as you've got that awareness of what it is you need to do rather than being left to second guess it yeah. is where I think you add value um so yeah you're right it doesn't matter how you get there it's how whether you've got that clarity and that understanding in the first place to get to the destination that you want to reach I think one of the, I've had a number of examples like, like, like that as well in, in programs I've been involved in. Uh, one, one in particular um, <laughs> uh, sounds very similar to, to the person you just described. The, the only way that we're able to bring that person not back on track, um, but within the, the, the structure of what we're trying to do to, to maintain those communication lines because there's so many interdependencies um, and, and people were getting stressed out because mm -hmm. they, they, they needed the outcomes or the outputs, yes. there, um, was to break it down into a more uh, shorter, smaller outcomes um, so that it wasn't this sort of length of time where you had nothing and then literally in the last week everything was was going through and everybody else was 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 yeah. very hyper because they were, were they were expecting that all of their deadlines would all be missed breaking it into more sort of structured weekly outcomes um and 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 playing to that person's strength which was they got things done yeah. but they the their whole approach was well i just don't have the motivation to do it yeah. until i've got that absolute deadline to hit I think that's what it was as well. I think in this instance, if I were to change that scenario, absolutely agree with you. I'll definitely break things down to a smaller chunk, to sizable kind of demands. But not only that, probably set mini deadlines as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe have those mini deadlines and say, okay, by this time we need this because of X, Y, Z. Um, and I know that's a little bit of an anti-agile pattern, but I think sometimes you have to pivot to actually accommodate the people that you're working with. Yeah, and, and, and I think I think um, it goes back to something that we speak about a lot, that the whole sort of concept, which whichever methodology you're adopting, one size fits all doesn't work. You've got to adapt it. You've got to be flexible and, and agile um, in, in um, taking people on that journey in the way that they want to go on that journey. 
Uh, and if you can do that, more often than not, you take more people with you. Exactly. If you try to force it down, everybody down one route, um, sometimes you, you, you lose you lose people, and sometimes those people are very important people, um, yeah, very influential it. people, should I say. Yeah, you get that pushback, um, and that's where pushback probably comes from, is that reluctance to want to do something a certain way. Um, and I think, just to kind of add to that, it would be, you know, for me, it's always let people have a choice, let them decide how they're going to get there. So I've seen it multiple times where you've got the business and you've got the engineering teams and the businesses have got their wants, but they're also telling you how to do things as well. Whereas engineers have got their own ways of the how. Um, and that's where often there's a clash as well. So I told you that's not how you do something, but actually the business should be like focusing on the outcome over the how. And that's another sort of thing that I kind of like to introduce to sort of like um, the leadership side of things. It's like, okay, you know what? It's okay. Focus on the what. Focus on what it is you want on the other side of it. Um, and then leave it to your people to do the how. Let them decide because that's what you've hired them for in the beginning. That's their skill set. Um, so allow their skills to thrive like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, a, a little bit... Uh, Lean type of methodology, isn't it? it, it and, and I've done some work in, uh, in factories and, and having the ability to allow people and in, in, in different parts of that sort of um, um, factory process to identify the issues themselves yeah. and, and resolve the issues themselves and give them the tools. And, and, and in, in many cases, a little bit of money, not a lot, but a little bit of money just to start thinking about different ways of working and yeah. resolving it at, at, at a local level um, and, and, and some of the things that have come out of those activities have absolutely transformed the, the wider factory performance because yeah. you've just allowed the person that was experienced in the issue to come up with their solution exactly, exactly. And then you test it and then you, you then, and, and, and then you um, validate whether or not it just resolves their issue or whether it can be applied elsewhere and, yeah. and those that can be applied elsewhere can deliver significant value definitely this is it and that's that's you know that kind of culture of seeking value both internally and externally i think is something that can often be missing and that's another thing that i like to introduce when i am kind of spending time coaching with the leadership that it's value focused and that value focus doesn't necessarily equate to monetary outputs. You know, there's a bit more than that. So, you know, the outputs are not just kind of financial gains, but there's also, you know, the morale of your, your teams and your people, the, the productivity levels, you know, how the outputs versus the in input, so to speak. And there's so many other factors that you can kind of measure success with. And it's not just going to be um, financial, basically. Yeah. A lot of the transformation programs have got a financial value attached to them, um, some of which are quite short term, but many are over multi years. Mm -hmm. So just coming back to something you touched on earlier, how do you go about um, ensuring that the programs that you work on have got that sort of constant focus upon value delivery both short term and, and, and long term so before i start any engagement i focus on the definition of value 
was the first thing I do. Um, and I get that clearly defined, clearly articulated. And then that becomes the focus as well. So that's kind of becomes your North Star, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that that's how I would I would actually start at any any kind of conversation. It's almost like, okay, so what does value mean to you? Yeah. And I kind of start with individuals and then go into the groups, go into the teams, go into the management, go into like kind of wider groups, go into organizations. So I ask that question at different levels. And what you look for is kind of like the common high value qualities that are coming out. Um, and we use that as a North Star. So it's kind of like the process of elimination a little bit as what value means for everyone. Or, you know, then kind of bring it back to the leadership and go, OK, this is what your people define as high value. Um, and then let's see how we can then design your initiatives to focus on that particular value. Because when you do focus in that manner, your success rates do tend to go upwards. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to measure sometimes, um, but it's almost like there is a guarantee there. If you focus on the right things, you will get the right outputs and the outcome. And, and do you break those down again into short, medium, long term? Yeah. So that you get in that sort of constant achievement buzz, I suppose, comes absolutely. back to that celebrating success that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be broken down into sort of like sizable kind of visual goals or could be done in the form of KPIs or but it is, yeah, you you, you down you kind of break it down into sizable uh, outcomes or epics even, you know, at high level. And so you've got you've got something defined. And then you can sort of decide which one's going to come first as well. So I think it's really important to kind of decide which particular outcome you're seeking and where, where are your quick wins, but also where are your long-term goals going to be as well and how we're going to achieve those and break those down further as well. Yeah. And, and just going back to um, celebrating success, what type of things do you do to celebrate short and long-term successes? Good question. Um, the last, <laughs> uh, I think most of the time it's uh, celebrations where you get together with your with the people that you've worked with and you go out for dinners or you know you go out for drinks afterwards to celebrate. That's a very common thing that we do. Um, but I think another way of doing it is kind of do a frequent celebration. So look for quick quick celebrations. What 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 did you achieve this week and what can we celebrate this week? Um, and it's almost kind of finding things frequently to celebrate um and we can do that in many many different ways it's almost like kind of like you know share a big message with everyone or it could be yeah let's plan a weekly dinner let we all get together and there's that element of bonding that comes into play there as well so you start to get to know people you're working with quite well and i really disagree with any leadership that says, no, I don't do celebratory dinners with my with the people that work for me because I'm too high up. I'm sorry, but you need to be with your people because yeah. that's where you're really going to learn whether they're going to be the right people for delivering what it is you need anyway. And these people are like having that strong bond, having a good relationship with the people that you work with, I think is essential because I think it's also essential to your own success. Yeah. Um, so by building such relationships, you've got that rapport, you've got that level of respect, you've got that kind of um, uh, loyalty almost that that kind of kicks in. So I think important. It's really important to celebrate success with your people rather than do it on your own, separate, or just kind of not recognize anything at all. Yeah, I think it's that 
personal recognition isn't it is is important but public recognition and, and just as you say if, if, if it's a director of an organization that's coming out and and and, and sitting with you and and in, in breaking bread and and um, celebrating what you've done there's that it gives you that lift doesn't it i, I yeah. remember early on in my career uh, we were doing a big transformation program in one of the banks and um yeah, that, that 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 was the mentality that that, that we had, where senior leaders with, within the bank that were you know maybe six, seven, eight layers above the people that they were having having yeah. dinner with would would come out, and you exactly. got to know that actually they were just a another person. Exactly. So so it broke down all of the typical barriers that you have yeah. in a hierarchical organisation. And and you could have a, 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 a really normal conversation with them. Yeah. So that 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 created massive benefits, not just on that program, but in future programs that the bank was doing. Yeah. Not only that. I mean, it also you know like um, I don't know. I've been looking at Glassdoor, for example, recently, and you've kind of like you've got that little tag that says would you recommend the ceo how how much would you recommend them and the thing is i think ceos who do interact with the people are probably more highly recommended than those who don't um because at the end of the day we're all humans right we all like that connection and i think connection is actually so important to your your own kind of purpose is that right the right word to use i think it's you know if you've got a purpose and you've got people supporting that purpose with you you're going to win naturally yeah Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's you can't just you can't just go out with a purpose and say follow me. You've got you've got to, you've got to go out and engage with people and give them a reason to follow you. And 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 if you can get that on a on a personal level that you've got that rapport with them, people will follow and 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 and, and, and really um, you know climb mountains for you. Yeah. Um, but 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 if you don't do that investment up front you'll never get them you lost yeah you lost right from the beginning I think another thing that you kind of touched on there is the idea that help when you see people struggling just just help it might just mean just kind of like a nudge in one direction or the other and it might just not need more than that but I think just a little goes a long way and you know so it's not just kind of staying then being there to celebrate the successes but also being beside you during the adversities as well um, and, and sharing those adversities in a way that kind of one reasons with yourself because you can't be fake it that's that's just no go <laughs> you can't pretend to do these things you've got to really genuinely feel them um but also you know it shows that you're an empathetic leader and i think t- in today's day and age that's what you need you need empathetic leaders today um and that's one of my kind of advocacy when i do work with leadership is like how can we be more empathetic with the people that you work with yeah, great. And in in terms of the absolute essentials, the non-negotiables, I suppose, that you um, need to have in place, as far as you're concerned, to ensure uh, a program will be successful. What what are some of those non-essential uh, um, those, those, those essential elements? Um, okay, non-negotiables. Uh, trust. That's the big one. Uh, empathy as well and understanding so, and I think um, most importantly space to transform 
in many in many many cases you've got um organizations saying yes we're going to do this huge transformation and you end up building let's say your kind of leadership and you know the center of excellence you build that up and when you go out what you found is everyone's just too busy so what you need is that space to change as well and that permission to change now by having all these kind of other deadlines sitting on your head um, and no time to even think about what you're doing that that for that transformations can fail and i'm just going to be quite frank about it um with that what comes hand in hand as a non-negotiable has to be the space to change and that understanding that things might slow down before you get back on track again and i think you know it's a very common agile world saying to say sorry agile saying to say slow down to speed up you need to slow down to speed up it's very common it's used everywhere but it's not implemented as much as it should be so i think that that need for slowing down to speed up is essential uh, and a non-negotiable trust, empathy from the leaders and support from the leaders as well. Um, but also that understanding of what needs to change and what could what are the outcomes that you're looking for and clarity of that, the reason behind change is yeah. also essential because if you're going in and you're you're going, right guys, we're going to sit down and we're going to completely change your process without you realizing why. More, more often than not, you're going to get the pushback. Of course. You'll get the pushback. So this way around, you've got people where you're bringing them on the journey with you, in which case what you're, my, my biggest um, non-negotiable is um, that there needs to be self-realization. Mm-hmm. So the people that you're working on the change for the whoever you're doing the transformation with they need to realize for themselves why why are they changing what is the validation behind it what is the reason behind it where are the pain points and everyone's got to be on the same page as much as possible it's not always realistic but uh, trying to be as pragmatic as you can i think is essential as well so yeah i think it is it's that paint the picture but the the the, the north star we spoke about earlier but at the same time, bring it down to what does it mean to me? Yeah. Uh, at, at each role and at each layer of the organisation, always be cognizant that that's the first question that they're going to be thinking about. Yeah. And yeah. What's the impact upon me? And the more you can be, get clarity around that, or when there's no clarity, be open and transparent to say, yeah. we don't know at this stage. Yeah. But we hope to know by this point and we will okay. want to get you involved in understanding that as we go through that process. People get that and people buy into that. Um, but um, and, and, and interesting, just going back to something else you were just saying earlier um, around having clarity and giving the, yeah, c- creating that space. I think um, we've all been in, in situations and in programmes where the, the, the change initiative or the transformation initiative is taking people down one route, but their existing KPIs, what they are getting measured upon today <laughs> and for the, activi- uh, the, the activities that they're responsible for today, are taking them down a different route. Yeah. And all too often, those KPIs don't get changed early enough. So you're in this situation where if I don't meet my KPIs today, I'm going to get hit across the head. Yeah. So actually, I'm not going to move down the route you wanted to want 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 to take me down, and that could, and that 
I think that's what we're talking about, about creating that space, isn't it? Understanding the impact upon everybody and whether or not they will feel engaged or not, depending upon what it means to them. Yeah, absolutely. And you've just touched on, you know, also being very, very honest and saying, right, okay, we don't think, so reviewing those KPIs and saying, are they valid for what we're, where we're going as well? Sometimes we might not know, um, or we might even forget we have KPIs at this point because we're so engrossed in the change and then obviously realise we've not hit KPIs. That can happen. Um, But I think one important thing that you also kind of, you know, that came to mind as you were speaking was the idea that... um, when people in that uh, when people announce change there's a level of fear that kicks in and that level of fear is that people's like oh my god you know my job's on the line if i don't do as i'm told or whatever there's there's fear that comes around with the concept of changing and some finding a way to alleviate that fear that someone's job is on the line needs to kind of um also come into the the forefront somehow however there is a catch-22 there because in some instances when change happens it's inevitable that some roles may disappear or it may be inevitable that new roles are going to appear and that is a natural part of transformation um but it's it's how how it gets handled and how individuals are supported is absolutely essential and that fear somehow needs to be mitigated first and foremost as well and can you give a couple of examples of what you do to to alleviate some of that fear? Um, yeah, so I think first and foremost is uh, have that hard conversation with the leadership and go, okay, this is likely to happen. So in some cases, it might be that you've got teams of, let's say you've got a delivery team of 20 people. And the realistic thing when you are going to, let's say, go down and building, I don't know, a scrum team or something or building a, and reducing the, the numbers in the team you've got that kind of risk where people's jobs are on the line. And I know I'm having a very, I'm talking about something quite difficult here and I'm sure it might be difficult to listen to, but um, it it can happen. Now, the way to kind of alleviate that is one, let people know that this, be honest, be honest about it, Um, but not just say, okay, this might happen and leave it at that, but kind of go a little bit above and beyond and say, okay, look, we can either support you with training, if there is a new need for a new job or a new role, then we're going to support you anyway. So it's that guarantee that we're not going to let you go could be one thing. Or it could be that, okay, everyone is going to be in a position where things are going to change. Some people will probably need to move on, but actually provide some kind of support package to go with that as well. Um, Because ultimately, if you're investing in transformation, you're investing in your people, which means that you equally need to invest in those you might lose as well. And I just think that's, it's a fair way of doing things, but I know it's not always the case. Um, but yeah, I think I think there needs to be some kind of care package in place yeah. that supports people if that if if it is the situation where their jobs are on the line. Because ultimately, you know, think about it from our own perspectives. If we're ever in a position where our jobs are on the line, we're thinking, oh my god, you know, where where is my next paycheck coming from? And that's yeah. scary. You know, for some people, that's very scary. So it's kind of providing some kind of change package in addition to to the change itself i think is worth its weight in gold i think yeah absolutely totally agree so we we always finish uh, each uh, podcast with a final question which is if you can 
look across your career and boil everything down to one thing, um, what would that be? What would that key message be that you want to leave people with today? Wow. Um, change is hard. Change is never going to be easy. Um, but in some cases, you can win with change. Um, and in some cases, let's just be honest, you can lose as well. Um, and I think when you embark on an introduction to, let's just say, right, we're an organization, we're going through a change right now, I would say embrace it because it's a new opportunity to learn new things. Um, and I think you've got to actually go forward with a mindset that I'm forever learning, I haven't stopped learning and I will not stop learning and uh, keep adding things to your back pocket and don't stop adding things to your back pocket is probably what I will say as a message. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Shisa. It was uh, a, a great conversation. Um, I think we got uh, 45 minutes into it now, so just flown by. It doesn't feel like that long. No, no, um, so once again, thank you very much and uh, speak to you very soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Chitel. If you have any questions or comments to make on this podcast, please contact Chitel or myself. Our contact details are in the show notes. Chitel is an active member of the Transformation Leaders Hub, a community for those working in change and transformation. Come along and get a feel of what it can offer you. We host regular networking and weekly roundtable events. Check us out on the website, www.thetransformationleadershub.com. For those of you who have listened to episode number 49 and was expecting a different discussion today, apologies, we have to rearrange the session that I mentioned. This will be released in the coming weeks. See you next time.